0: we go down.
1: hello indeed we're going to make it better you're listening to the health hour on inform live radio on 1150 a.m kknw and streaming to chd tv and rumble and other platforms we are so glad that you are joining us today and i tell you we got two amazing hours lined up it's two full hours on measles measles is back in the news they never let it go And we really believe that every individual needs to, as we call, do their research. And what does that mean? Well, you're gonna find out today about the sort of deep dives that informed parents um, make and that anybody makes if you're gonna make a fully informed medical decision. And we've got a a ton of information we're gonna try to squeeze in um, here today. Um, I've got Bob Reynolds as co-host joining me today. So Bob, welcome
2: hi Bernadette thanks for having me
1: oh you you are so welcome thank you for joining me we've got a lot of really good stuff lined up um before we begin a couple of things i want to say thank you um, so much to uh the members of children's health defense um, and especially the washington chapter who um their donations every month even every a little bit help keep free speech on the air and more and more, it's so vital that we support wherever we can platforms that are allowing real dialogue to happen and free speech to happen. So if you want to help support the Health Hour, please go to wa.childrenshealthdefense.org. That's wa.childrenshealthdefense.org. And, you know, and be part of what makes um, this show happen. Um also want to do our usual that the views expressed on the show are not necessarily those of KKNW, Children's Health Defense, or, you know, Informed to us Washington, who we, we all work together, Bob and I, and, and, and a lot of the folks who come on the show. Uh, we're not giving medical advice, especially important today as we talk about measles, measles, and we're not giving legal advice, bringing you the information, um, that you really need to know. Uh, We're going to start off giving some information about two Washington state bills that we feel is very important for um, our membership and people in Washington to know about. But we also feel they're very important for people all over the United States because they're probably bills that they're gonna be pushing everywhere to some degree or utilizing. So we're not gonna give you pro or con on this. We're just, we're, you know, staying within our boundaries here, giving you information. Um, that's aligned with the mission of CHD and Informed Choice Washington, so that you can go read deeply, think critically, and then, you know, talk to your legislators about your thoughts and concerns. I want Ginger Taylor to be um, our our guest today, I should say, is Ginger Taylor, the amazing, wonderful Ginger. Hi, Ginger. Hello, how are you doing? I'm doing very well. You are a, a powerhouse. You are a um, medical freedom advocate, vaccine safety advocate, informed consent advocate. You've been in this for, um, I don't want to say no. how years cause it, people think, well, she started when she was two, but you've been in yes. it a long time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and thank you for coming on at the last minute to, to help. I know that you're one of the people who really knows this conversation the history, the politics, the science. And so I'm just really grateful for you to join in. Thank and I am bring you in early to talk, well, Bob and I bring up these bills because um, I want you to hear them. And I wanna hear a little yeah. of your insights about what, what we're, okay, enough of there. Right. I'm gonna go ahead and share with you now then the, um, the first one, which is, um, here we go. Senate Bill 5982. Um, and Bob, will you explain why this bill was filed? Let me make sure it's visible and bring it up there. Let's see. Where did it go? There we go. Um, can you explain why this bill was filed?
2: Right. So this is a topic that I think may turn up in other states and therefore uh, just bringing this to your attention as possible concerns but this is a change of uh, vaccine uh, definition. Yes. And, and so where before, well, this is really only associated in our state with the Washington Vaccine Association, a statutory uh, agency that was stood up to purchase bulk purchase vaccines. Yes. for providers and and I guess under the vaccines for children program. And so it's got a collection of monies coming in from federal and from other private insurers buying supplies for clinics. And and so there's a definition in there that is they argue is out of date. It was basically put into code in 2005 or so, 2009 in that time frame, big time frame. But uh, basically, the, the previous definition was a preparation of killed or attenuated living microorganisms or fraction thereof, keywords there, that upon administration stimulates immunity that protects against disease. Now they want to call it, well, I guess you asked me uh, why, why they're doing this. I think they're doing it uh, to cover a bunch of other stuff. They've got COVID vaccines, which are artificial, completely made in test tubes that aren't made from killed or attenuated living microorganisms or fraction Mm -hmm. thereof. They've got RSV, monoclonal antibody blood serum products which don't qualify under this. And they'd like to purchase those as part of uh, a big immunization purchase. And that's what they wanna change the definition to, start hopefully not suffering the thunder.
1: And no, that's exactly right. Thank you so much for that. And so what I find so, a bit absurd somebody needs to teach these folks some grammar i suppose their new definition will in essence be vaccine means an immunization and then approved by fda blah 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 but it 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 you cannot have the word vaccine mean immunization that's like saying water means wetness Immunization is the end result of receiving a product intended to help induce some sort of protection immunity from a disease. Um, immunization is not the product, but they're designed they're they're now defining the product. Now, if they had said vaccine means an immunization product or formula or substance, that would be at least grammatically correct. So um, uh, Ginger, any thoughts about this change in wording?
0: Yeah. I You know, we've had uh, – real in 2009, I don't know if you remember back then, but the National Autism Association had a – it was called the 090909 campaign for the date, and it was um, basically to say, look, hey, autism is one – what was it, one in 50 at the time? You know, are we going to wait until this is one in 20? Are we going to wait until, you know, what is – does this stop? When are you going to be sober about what's happening and how long are we going to wait? But rather than doing the right thing, they've just done these measures to redefine and to move the goalposts and um, don't uh, to manipulate the process and the infrastructure and never address the problem. Um, It is to distort, it is to deceive. Um, And it's interesting to me that they're making this move because they did they did the opposite of years back. So the the National Immunization Program, they changed the name to the National Vaccine Plan. And I argue that it was a correct move for them to do that because vaccines do not necessarily produce immunization. Like you say, yes. vaccine is the product, immunization is the intended outcome. Mm-hmm. So for them to go backwards and make vaccine synonymous with the word immunize is is analogous to saying that um chemo and radiation are cancer cures mm-hmm. they may cure cancer they may kill it or they may kill the host <laughs> with the cancer but th- but it's not the same thing right and mm-hmm. it, it, it would be fraud if anybody tried to call um radiation a cancer the cancer cure or any cancer cure mm-hmm. um so it's it is they're moving it's interesting to me because they i feel like lawyers would have a heyday with this mm-hmm. um this would be struck down um you know, but but again, since the beginning of the pandemic and actually buf- since before that, they have adjusted um, the meaning of um, of the word vaccine from from agent to outcome to, it's practically meaningless.
1: Yeah, the CDC has definitely been monkeying with it all along and a lot of people have covered that. So thank you so much, Ginger. I'm gonna um, move along now to the next bill that um, individuals really need to know about across the United States. It is filed in Washington state, but what I, again, I'm going to turn to you, Bob, um, I'm going to scroll this up. If you could, um, explain, maybe even just sort of read, this is a whole new section of code that has never existed before. And, you know, maybe if you can read it there, start by just, um, reading what it is going to allow it to happen.
2: Right, uh, thank you. I'll paraphrase a little bit, and I'm curious if Ginger's seen this in other states, as she has a national scope sometimes with her work. So mm-hmm. the this is regarding standing orders, And so uh, we've been aware of standing orders as an advocacy group for a while, because it's uh, standing orders are uh, when doctors aren't present, there will be something in your patient record that says, "Oh, you're due for your Tdap." or you're due for something else, some other treatment. And so the uh, the idea with standing orders is it it really pushes out a policy or makes sure, make sure there's a reminder for a patient. This uh, standing order was used during the pandemic in emergency powers in our state. Now what they want to do is take that emergency power of standing order across the whole state and give it permanently to the Department of Health and the Secretary of Health. So that standing order will be, uh, if you want to scroll down a bit. Oh, no, there it is. Standing Mm -hmm. order for any biological product, device, or drug for purposes of controlling and preventing the spread of mitigating treating any infectious or non-infectious disease. So that's pretty much any disease. I don't know why they have to be more specific uh, or threat to the public health. And so that standing order coming from uh, you know the Department of Health would be a one-size-fits-all solution spread out to a large population, and the doctor doesn't really even need to be present. Anybody who's, I guess, given the general authority to administer under the no- existing code mm-hmm. can go ahead and do it without the primary care physician present. Nobody's looking for contraindications. And again, I guess I'm jumping into the, the editorializing here, but a good chance that they're going to skim right over or ignore informed consent.
1: Yes. That's one of our exactly. biggest
2: concerns. And again, it, it's just setting up. I'll, I'll let you finish, Bernadette.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah, a couple of things, because I don't want to spend too much time. I just want to raise awareness that we could go on forever about this, but I want to let people know that it does include, it says, this section does not create a private cause of action. Notwithstanding any provision of law, neither the state nor the secretary nor the secretary's designee shall be liable for any civil or criminal damages or any professional disciplinary action related to the issuance of prescriptions or standing or orders pursuant to this section. And then, if we go on, it it also so Bernadette, real yes? quick,
2: it's really impressive that they have to give remove liability. Yes. Every bill.
1: Yeah, they but do. Sure they they like don't to do that. Have
2: any liability involved with the execution of this policy?
1: Yeah, and then it further gives some authority to uh, those who work for the Department of Health. It says that the secretary, secretary's designee, designee, and department employees may acquire, possess, deliver, dispense, and administer a biological product, a device, or drug pursuant to a prescription or standing order issued under this section. And I'm gonna go down and read some of their definitions. They've got definition of biological product. Administer means to directly apply a biological product, device, or drug, whether by injection, inhalation, ingestion, or any other means to the body of a patient. And then um, device. Now this, this really is something people need to look at very closely and talk to you know their legislator about device means any instrument, apparatus, or contrivance, including their components, parts, and accessories, intended for the use of the diagnosis, cure, mitigation, treatment, or prevention of disease in human beings or other animals, or to affect the structure of any function of the body of human beings or other animals. So the... This bill would allow the Secretary of Health to do a standing order for a device that has the ability to affect the structure or any function of the body of a human being or other animals. We're just animals to them, apparently. Um, So you can see there's a lot to that. Every time I read it, I, I, you know, more and more I'm like concerned. So we'll leave it at that. Uh, I'm going to let Ginger, though. Um, have you seen anything like this ever before?
0: Um, no, but it reminds me, basically, this is Suzanne Humphrey's origin story, right? She's a nephrologist. She's a mainstream kidney doc in Maine. She goes into one of her, um, one of her inpatient, talks with them and says that she was given a shot. Yes, thank you. Um, she was given a shot and... So I didn't order, you know. Goes in and finds the standing orders for. I think it was pneumonia vaccine, oh, was two vaccines. Yeah. And so she, you know, wanders into a conversation to say, "Hey, um, who put these in there?" And they say, oh, "No, we have standing orders for this." And she's like, oh, "Okay, well, just get me the research on it so that I know that it won't hurt my kidney patients, and you know, mm-hmm. do unravel the good I'm trying to do." Um, and the the hospital just came after. And started badgering her. And she's like, no, I'm just, it's I'm, I'm fine. I just give me the whatever so I know that I'm, you know. And jumped to the end, she left. Because it yeah. was so, you know, she started being harassed. She started reporting vaccine injury. The other doctors didn't want to report it themselves. So they started her reporting it. She started being, getting calls from CDC to tell her to stop reporting. And, mm-hmm. you know, and a superhero was born. Um, and it started with standing orders. So the backfire of standing orders is doc- is conscientious doctors who are going to look at that and be like, well, w- wait, what am I involved in? And, of course, after COVID, so, much ma- so many more of them are awake um, yeah. to the damage that this can do. And, of course, when patients sign in, um, especially into emergency rooms, you know, they're given a screen to sign their name on and they don't know what they're signing their name to. Um, and one of the things that they are giving permission for is the um, administration of biologics. So informed consent can never happen because they've handed over their yes for anything. And now that would include medical devices that change the structure of their body. It's hard to, it's hard to drive how that is, um, you know, it is in line with their um, duty to inform the patient. So um, yeah, there, I think there's excellent. And, Excellent insight. Exactly. Yeah. And can I, one thing real quick, just cause it yep. dropped today. It's a nice yep. thing. Um, I'm in South Carolina that's moving in the opposite direction of Washington state. And we just had a bill, uh, bill 975 to, and I'll read this, prohibit business, nonprofit organization, colleges, schools, and employers from mandating that employees, contractors, students, patrons, customers, clients, or guests must receive a novel vaccine or gene therapy. So it's moving to protect rights of um, those who are having a so, mandate on the, onto them for gene therapy and vaccines.
1: Yeah. So, and that's in South Carolina? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for bringing that one to our attention. That's, you know, it is, it's the variety of bills and we're going to stay within our framework here, but is... Mm-hmm. We, everybody, wherever you are, must pay attention and look to see what they're doing. Um, One last word is when something becomes, when there's a standing order or a standard of care, the perception within the medical community is whatever is under this order or or standard is innocuous. It, it, It seems as if it makes them shut their brains off. Well, there wouldn't be a standing order or it wouldn't be standard of care if it wasn't safe and they don't even think. And then if you challenge it, well, you become that crazy tinfoil hat wearing person for daring to challenge standard of care Mm -hmm. or a standing order. Um, So, yeah, a a very a lot to consider there. So thank you so much for that. We're going to move along to our topic of this show for two hours is measles. And we originally were going to have the show and we will have her on later. It didn't work out for her to be on today. Um, A woman in Washington state who in 2019 uh, received the MMR vaccine and um, ended up with Guillain-Barre syndrome, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, was paralyzed and now has permanent disability. We will be having Misty on as soon as she's available. Um, So, but it was, it was engaging with her again. We've known her since 2019 and then all the measles in the news that they keep bringing up. We thought let's do a deep dive. Let's show parents and individuals out there really what it takes to explore and do your medical due diligence on any topic, right? So I love the Physicians for Informed Consent. Um, They are... um, an organization of physicians, MDs, um, and and more, there's PhDs and others there that really believe in informed consent. And what they do is they produce the most amazing two or three page flyers fully cited that look closely at issues, at medical concerns on, you know, and give you everything you need to do, you need to look at to make an informed decision. with measles they've got a couple of great informational statements they provide something the cdc does not something called a disease information statement um so that you can actually study the disease and see what does this disease mean to me so you know everybody's like heard of measles but you know i probably wouldn't hurt to be refreshed and i love their definition because they do not use inflammatory language it's not fear 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 but really just putting it out there, they say that measles um, is a self-limiting childhood viral infection. And why I think that is so important, a self-limiting viral infection is because of the way public health talks about measles, mo- anything that they invent a, a vaccine for, it's as if you don't get the shot, you're gonna die of this disease. <laughs> and, but really it's a self-limiting um, infection. Right, Um, it's symptoms include a prodromal, an initial phase of a cough, a runny nose, eye irritation and fever, followed by generalized rash on days four to 10 of the illness. It's contagious during the prodromal phase when you first become symptomatic and for three to four days after rash onset. Most measles cases are benign and not reported to public health departments before the measles mass vaccination program was introduced, nearly everyone contracted measles and obtained lifetime immunity by age 15. So I'm gonna stop right there because that is really worthy of discussion. And I know Ginger, you really understand the significance of the fact that before the vaccine was introduced, just about everybody in the United States aged 15 and over already had lifetime immunity. So can you talk about that? Well, I mean, look at it,
0: the um, the way that measles is presented now. Um, measles is not polio, but measles is treated as if it is polio now. It is they, you know, every message says it is the most contagious disease ever. I'm like, okay, yes, it spreads quickly. It doesn't kill people. We don't have We've had one in the twenty first century, there has been one pediatric measles death in the United States which is now almost 25 years. Um, and it was a 14-year-old boy who had, in the Midwest, who had had a transplant surgery and was on immunosuppressive drugs. Um, he contracted measles. And they did a, you know, the MMWR from CDC and this says that they did an extensive search to find who, who had infected them. And they couldn't find anyone, which suggests that this was a measles vaccine infection. Somebody around who was vaccinated because it's a live measles vaccine. Mm-hmm. It is- um, you know, you don't prevent measles with the measles vaccine. You give everybody measles with the measles vaccine. So when mm-hmm. you get an MMR, you have measles, mumps, and rubella at the same time. It's they are attenuated strains, so they are far less likely to have, um, break out in an active infection. Um, but they have measles, and so if you are shedding it in around immunosuppressed people, they can get it that way. So, mm-hmm. uh, so all of the hype about the, the Disney measles outbreak. All of you know all of the hype that we will start seeing about this about the airports, it, you know, airports in the DC area that somebody went through. Um, it is uh, it is a you know shrill cry that is um, mm-hmm. nowhere near the, it, worthy of the ink that it gets. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what happened is we didn't stop getting measles; we gave everybody measles. Um, so it's kind of the same situation before the measles vaccine existed. Um, people are like, "When everybody had measles," and they you know, and I'm like, "Yeah, remember when everybody died in 1900 because we all got measles? Remember when everybody died from it because there was no measles vaccine?" I mean, it's a silly premise um, because human the human race, you know, lived on um, before any vaccines. Uh, we you know we got from um, you know the Stone Age to um, the uh, the Industrial Age without um, without you know. Yeah. Casting ourselves out of existence. Um, so it's a, it, it, it's a, the framework of it is wrong. And because it is a live measles vaccine, it's true of any live vaccine, it cannot, it it can cause every illness and outcome that the measles, the wild measles can. Yes. So if you have a low performing immune system and you get measles from the measles, wild measles, you can get it from um, the vaccine. There was, and there was a case, where they, an infant in the DC area um, in the 2015 outbreak, it was on the West coast. Oh no, it's come to the East coast. There's a, a poor little baby that had been, you know, that has it. And then, you know, three days later, they had to, cut, to retract it and kind of back out of it because the baby had just gotten the measles vaccine. And he, the baby had a vaccine induced case of measles. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, they jump on things so quickly. It is, I mean, the fear, yeah. you know, the, the propaganda is ridiculous.
1: Yeah, and, and um, a point that I think is really important to understand is in the 1960s, when the measles vaccine was introduced, the state of the United States was this. Everybody 15 and over, and you could probably back it down to more like like 75% of people age 10 and older or 8 and older, because usually it's the little kids who would get the measles, but pretty much oh. by 15, had lifelong vigorous uh, natural immunity and mothers had very strong passive immunity they gave to their babies for at least the first year of life and if they're nursing that could be extended so it compressed the susceptibility age of measles because herd immunity was you know natural herd immunity existed and so kids tend to get it when it's safest to get right but so enter the vaccine. And what happened? Everybody 15 years old is already immune. So they're giving it to little kids. So the every, Bob, I think you told me the other day, is it, or maybe it was Carl I was talking to, but you have every three or four years, you'd, you'd get a a wave of measles come through and a whole new crop of first graders, basically, you know, um, kindergarten, first, second graders would get the measles, Brady Bunch did their whole episode, it was on the Flintstones and everything, you know, it was very common to get the measles and then they'd have lifelong immunity and you know, that's how it all works. So here comes the measles vaccine and they give the vaccine to all of the children. So they got the vaccine rather than getting measles. Right. And of course, it worked brilliantly because almost everybody in the United States was already immune, except for this window, compressed window of young children. But the problem is, is the vaccine does not provide lifetime immunity. 10 percent primary failure rate, which means about 10 percent of people who get two MMRs, never develop immunity. A 20 percent secondary failure rate. The CDC de- studies show that after 20 years, um, I I forget the number, so don't quote me here, like 30% of individuals have lost protection. So as an adult, they're now susceptible and don't know it because they've had the two MMRs. And the CDC studies show a third dose of a measles vaccine does not lengthen or improve. You know, you can't boost your way out of this. And then there's tertiary failure, um, which is where the... Um, the the virus is now, they've been using it so long, it's starting to deviate away from what's in, in the vaccine. Bob's asking me if I'm squirreling. Yes, I am a little bit, but we're going through this. So this is where we entered, where the vaccine entered. So And so the data we want to look at is really important here for Before the vaccine was introduced, what really is the measles in the United States, where we've got running water, flushable toilets, access to medical care, and decent nutrition? It's probably more decent in the 1960s than it is today. But um, so measles fatality cases based on the data was one in 10,000 or 0.01%. There were three to 3.5 in 10,000 cases um, of measles that resulted in seizure. One in 20,000 measles cases resulted in um, measles encephalitis. And one in 80,000 resulted in permanent disability from measles encephalitis. So, you know, when you look at those numbers, you know, and you put it in the population of how many people are in the United States. In the early 1960s, it did not add up to be a very dangerous infection anymore. We had you know, health conditions that allowed us to um, safely navigate through it. And we had herd immunity so that those who were more susceptible were protected. And then if you can see this graph here, and so our radio audience, we've got this graph from the Physicians for Informed Consent that shows the decline in measles mortality from the year 1900 to the year 1963. And on the left, we've got a scale that is the mortality rate per 100,000. And it starts in the year 1900 at about 13 per 100,000. And then it goes all the way and at about it goes up and down and up and down, but mostly on a decline. When you hit about 19, what are you guys thinking? Like in the late 1930s, 1940s, it's really getting down there. 1950, it's really low. You get to 1955 through 19, early 1960s, where the measles vaccine introduced, it's flatlined. There's just, it's barely above zero, this line, because there were about 400 to 500 um, cases of or, or uh, deaths due to measles every year. So, But what I want to show you next, though, um, is how easy it is for public health officials to talk to legislators, politicians, and, and use graph and data in a way that I call, James Lyons Waller calls statistical sham wizardry, so here we have Fauci. This is
2: a very dramatic slide. As shown, it dramatically decreased it to the point of the year 2000 when we essentially eliminated. But let's take a look at some of the oh, things that I right. mentioned.
1: I need to back up that just a bit. Let me see if I can get that to pull up again. Let me do. There
2: that. were 21 million lives that were saved from vaccines between the year That's 2000 really and 2017. But as shown on the last bullet on this slide, there are 110. Thousand deaths still today in the world, which so means there's the danger literally? of the reinsertion yeah, of sorry, measles from me other countries. Yeah. Someone
1: and parents have witnessed. Okay, I apologize. I'm gonna I'm gonna stop that because I'm not doing a good job. Um, stop sharing. Uh, where did I go? Where are we? Oh, thank you, Nathan, for saving me. Um, he had a he had a scale he showed the very end the 1960s and his scale over on the side were like three to five hundred deaths annually and he showed it like plummeting but when you stand back and you look at the graph from 1900 on you could see that the decline happened way before right so so as parents doing research on on measles disease it's showing that in the united states for healthy people. Um, it had it was not a, a deadly disease for the most part. Um, okay.
0: And I'd like to point out that his yes. deaths from measles disease does not include uh, a death, death from vaccine strain measles. Um, no. because it, the death from that vaccine or those vaccines, mm-hmm. they, you know.
1: Yes. Yes. So now I want to um, I'm going to go back to that pick statement.
2: Yeah, just to be go clear, ahead. too, of we're yes. speaking, you know, data on the radio is our audience. I think, but yeah, the scale of the Fauci slide starts in 1950. But yeah. as we looked at the previous chart, by 1950, the the drop was tremendous. Yes, I
1: mean,
2: you know, 98 in terms of its its rate uh, has already dropped and, and right. improved greatly. Do to?
1: Yeah. Sanitation. Improved sanitation, access to health care, and improved for the, the nutrition. masses, nutrition.
0: Highways, transportation, getting people to a hospital. mm mm-hmm. Social services, all of the all of the infrastructure.
1: And you know, one of the um, I've got this great book that people's chronology, it looks at different inventions. The invention like of the tin can and the refrigerator car. The, the ability for people to get nutrient dense foods like through the winter months improved um, vastly and a lot of um, health improvements and ability to resist um, disease or severe disease um, happened because of the access, uh, better access to food. So what treatments are available? Now, this is important. So um, a lot of people have heard about you know vitamin A. So since measles resolves on its own in almost all cases Usually, only rest and hydration are necessary. When treatment is recommended, options include the following: high dose vitamin A, um, immune globulin is for is available for immune compromised patients, such as those on chemotherapy. And um, I don't know what the antiviral medication ribavirin is. Do you, Ginger or Bob? Nope,
2: I haven't no? looked into that. No,
1: I'll we'll have to look that one up. Um, they do give three cent citations, 14 through 16, so um, that's one I didn't look at. But they quote the Vitam, um, World Health Organization, um, who recommends that serious measles cases be treated with high dose of vitamin A, 50,000 to 200,000 IU orally on two consecutive days. Um, are there benefits to getting the measles? And I know, Ginger, you and I were talking a little bit about this. You want to talk about like some of the, um, the benefits of the- Well, I just, I pulled
0: up one, uh, one study, if you want to share my screen Um, and I haven't gone, you know, this is not something I am, I've been completely educated on, but starting in 20, at least in 2014. So for the last decade, um, infection, old school infection with measles virus has been used to treat cancer Um, and it inhibits tumor growth it is, um, and it's funny because the biggest that, you know, when they talk about the pluses and minuses of this treatment, um, one of the comments that they make is, you know, one of the things that inhibits this treatment is people who have been vaccinated for measles and can't get the infection like we want them to, um, to help their immune system respond correctly to the cancer. Um, so it's, it's funny. I mean, it's not funny. It's, it's ironic that the vaccine, um is getting in the way of it being used properly to, to treat cancer. Um, and, you know, and this is not something that's talking about. They're not, you mm-hmm. know, um, mm-hmm. they're not advertising this. And, and this, you know, this yeah. paper, like I said, 2014. So, yeah. Um,
1: yeah. So there are uh, several studies that show that um, though individuals who had measles, mumps, or rubella, even chickenpox. Some of these common childhood illnesses that later in life they seem to have protective effect on the immune system against cancers and other diseases. So th- there's just so much that we don't know. Um, you know, anytime humans interrupt what is sort of our natural way of being, I don't want anybody to die of measles or chickenpox or rubella or have any of the harms. Obviously, but what what's another way? How else can we do this? How how can we reap the benefits of exposure to these common childhood or used to be um, viruses um, without any of the the adverse reactions? And we know vitamin A really is is key here. And I wanted to share with you, let's see, um, I know I have one. Close-knit community, it's not that one. Senate, Fauci says no MMR. I prob- we, we might come across that. I, I know I've got him talking about, um, very much about vitamin A and the bolus doses. And then individuals in poor nations, and even in the United States when they do studies, they find that those who have serious measles cases, they're low in vitamin A. The other thing that's really important to know about vitamin A and vitamin D. In fact, all of your nutrients, zinc. um, When you have a viral infection, all of the studies show your body's using up these nutrients. So I liken it to the beginning of a trip. You're going on vacation. You get in your car. You got clean oil, clean oil filter. You got gas in the car. Your drink beside you, you're good to go. You get a 1,000 miles down the road, you know, Three thousand miles down the road, well, at some point you're going to have to refuel that tank. You might need to change the oil filter. You might need to replace things, right? Our body is the same way, and and the whole idea that um, that when you're sick, that you wouldn't always want to replenish and bolster those nutrients that science has been proving for decades are essential for helping your immune system combat viral and bacterial infections right Mm -hmm.
0: yeah no i use the nail on the head that the world health organization has on their website vitamin a for treatment and has for a very long time Mm -hmm. and it is well known that measles chews up vitamin a and the body gets depleted and that's you know when vitamin a um Is in um, is at a loss in the body. That's where complications start to set in. Mm -hmm. Um, And and you know you had asked about kind of the upside of these illnesses. You Mm -hmm. know when we had um, chickenpox, measles, and flu in circulation, and we weren't trying to fight these with vaccines. Mm -hmm. Part of the process, um, and I understand from um, older doctors and doctors in Asia where this is still taught. Is that you know having those illnesses um, forced a very um, essential and healthy process in children of neurological pruning? When they got fevers from those disease, as long as the fever was controlled, um, you know the brain in young children goes through a neurological pruning of um, of of, of uh, branches that are not strong. Branches are you know that so that the nutrients in the body is starting to um, feed the correct neurons um, and help them, it helps the brain mature. Um, and additionally, um, the children, when they're getting these illnesses, it was taught in our medical schools and, um, it's still taught in Asian medical schools that Mm -hmm. after they got these childhood illnesses, they go through a growth spurt. Mm -hmm. It's a huge detox. It Mm -hmm. is, you know, a huge boost for their brain. You know, again, as long as complications don't set in, fevers are controlled, um, you know, and and these are uncomplicated un- courses of a regular childhood illness mm-hmm. from which almost everybody recovered. Yeah. Um, and we've lost that. And so what that, you know, the neurological impact of children not going through those prunings mm-hmm. in early childhood, is that a part of the neurological epidemics that we're seeing now? The autoimmune, all of it, you know, this is part of the big puzzle that, you know, we would love to unravel, but we can't, we don't control the funding dollars, right? So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: It, yeah, you spot on. In fact, I, I wish I could remember who I was talking to, Bob. I don't remember. Were you on the show? Who are we talking to? And I brought about fever, and the children, a lot of children on the spectrum, when they get a fever, their behaviors improve.
0: Yeah, I had um, like Chandler, my my son, who's mm-hmm. you know he's he's not a measles vaccine injury. He never got the measles vaccine, um, but DTAP and, hip, and Hepatitis B are probably the most responsible for his uh, regression um, when the year of, um, H1N1, so I was like 2010, I think, mm-hmm. um, he came home, he was feeling warm. I'm like, uh Oh, and he, his eye contact was amazing. So I took him upstairs and I tucked him on my bed. He just laid there and looked at me and talked to me. And it was magical because I was getting the kind of eye contact and attention that I just mm-hmm. you know, you crave. And I let it go on for about an hour. And I was like, I, I, you know, I wish I hadn't have done it, but at the time I was like, well, it's an irresponsible mom not to give them aspirin or whatever for, you know, yeah. control the fever, but it was a very magical hour and I should have, you know, I should have known better than to stop the fever. It, it wasn't out of control, but you're, you're programmed as a parent. You yeah. Know, you don't let your child have a fever. Yeah. Um, and, and it was doing its job. You know, it was, and- a, it was a, it was a beautiful experience.
1: And there, there are some um, treatments in Germany, I believe, for cancer and other things that are actually fever treatments. They induce mm-hmm. in you a fever in order to help your body heal.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I can't remember many details about that. I think our beloved Tony Bart gave that a, a try um, toward the end there. She was doing a lot of things that, you know, might not have worked for her. But the whole theory of it, it and it seems like that that's a whole avenue of exploration, of healing for some of our damaged children. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe... You know, if this the neurological issues uh, generations of children are dealing with, it's multifactorial.
0: Mm-hmm. It's
1: food. it's in the air, and the water and the vaccines. There's just so many things and each child is different, what cornucopia of harm hurt them. But maybe one of them is we work so hard to have them avoid experiencing fever. That mm-hmm. all of that synaptic pruning. I mean, that's if you don't prune those things, it, it that's part of what causes like some of the overload the, mm-hmm. of, of of input like, yeah. and the unable to censor things out because they haven't experienced some of this pruning that needs to. Larry Polevsky
0: talks um, a lot about that and also about um, the detox mechanism of fever um, mm-hmm. that we that our bodies need illnesses regular illnesses with fever and with you know when you get sick things exit your body right we, your, your body just says opens up all the doors and gets rid of all sorts of stuff um and in that is a cellular detox mechanism where you know if it's food poisoning if it's poisoning by a virus if it is mold poisoning you start sneezing and coughing and all the things because mm-hmm. the body has to purge all the all the ugly things that it doesn't want in the body and in that there is um and if the body can't can't find a virus Mm -hmm. a lot of it's carried in our our sinuses and the body will take it when it needs it to um have a fever on purpose so it can do a detox Mm -hmm. uh, it will create its own flu virus um and this is what happens in you know uh porcine populations in you know in a very toxic um pig farm is that all the pigs will get sick and they'll have a novel pig virus and that Nival pig virus, it, you know, came to existence in that herd because they that herd needed to get sick to to detox from all the exposures. Um, wow. David Kirby's book on factory farming um, talks about the. Um, it starts on a farm where they have this cough, right? And there's this dust and of all the toxic stuff on the farm. And there's just this cough and everybody has the cough and everybody always has the cough because the body is constantly trying to borrow illness um, reactions to get rid of the junk. So that these, you know, some of these, if we have, you know, meningitis and some, you know, polio and some very, not, not regular child illnesses, but the regular childhood illnesses, um, you know, the, and there's for chickenpox, for example, there's a, um, a discussion of whether or not they have found evidence of chickenpox back to Easter Island that our, um, that our biolo- biology works in um, synchrony and symbiosis with these viruses that we have had for hundreds and thousands of years. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, you know, the, the, the downside of, you know, the quick fix of no more measles, you know, has a downside, the quick fix mm-hmm. of no more chickenpox, which so parents don't miss work and kids don't miss school. Um, can be doing really you know, basic systematic harm from childhood.
1: Yeah, humans are really good um, at what I like to say, throwing the baby out with the bathwater mm-hmm. and the arrogance of thinking that we can play God when it comes to how our bodies work. And I feel like the most ethical approach to health and healing is to gather everything we know currently and continue to explore about what makes health, what are the building blocks of health? And if you just bring in and support that our bodies are brilliant they'll figure out what to do if they've got the building blocks and this is something that fauci cdc and all the people that we fight completely agree with if you've got a, somebody who's who's in optimal health and got the right nutrients on board you don't even have to be optimal health you're going to be able to get through these things that they that they push fear campaigns about
0: mm-hmm. well and- not everybody often says um are waste of of Everybody's vitamins are always fine, and putting any supplements in your body is a waste of yeah, um, yeah. waste of money and they're just flushing it down the toilet.
1: well, Bob has f- found for us twenty foods that contain let's let's look at this twenty foods that contain um uh, good levels of vitamin a so let's, people, let's aren't,
2: people aren't gonna like the top ones
1: <laughs> Be- oh, my mother you no. still love beef liver I would you know this is back in the day where. Your parent made you sit at the table until you finished what you ate. I'd sit there yeah, for four hours. Exactly. And I could not eat liver. But all of the livers. Now, you only want to get today organic because your liver is your organ that cleans your body, and you don't want any nastiness in there. But beef liver, lamb liver, liver sausage, you betcha. These are these are all cod liver oil that you can buy. I had to um, take spoonfuls of that, too, as a kid and buy gum. They didn't flavor it back then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, salmon. I can eat salmon, uh, mackerel, salmon, bluefin tuna. You got to be careful of tuna, obviously, don't you, because of the high amounts of mercury in, in those sort of fish. Goose liver pate, it's to be liver yeah. pate. Uh, goat cheese, butter, Limburger cheese, cheddar cheese, Camembert cheese, Roquefort cheese, eggs, trout, clams, cream cheese, oysters, whole milk. So you know the highest ones that they're listing. And then they go down to the vegetables, but these are vitamin A, and then the vegetables are in a different form and your body has to convert them. Um, So sweet potato, butternut squash, kale, collard greens, turnip greens, carrots, sweet potato, I mean, sweet red pepper, Swiss chard, spinach, and romaine lettuce. You know, really, if you go the building blocks of a healthy diet that we've always known, it's very difficult though, for those out there who are vegetarian or vegan, it's very difficult to get all the nutrients you really need if you're not if you're not eating foods from the animal kingdom. Um, so I just encourage people to explore. if you're going to stick with that, you really probably do need to be supplementing some nutrients um, you know and vitamin A may be one of those as well as some of the B vitamins that are just not. Um, easily found in the plant kingdom. Um, You know, I had some, I wanna thank, Carl Kandak sent me um, some great um, graphs that we didn't get to. I I really wish we could, Carl, but this subject is gonna be coming back. And I think that, um, you know, we'll be utilizing some of that great information that you have provided. And we're gonna talk about some of his work too um, in the next hour. So, you know, we just kind of touched on a little bit on what measles is and um, found some great sources, Physicians for Informed Consent, which is fully cited. Um, I encourage everybody, when you find a source that you seems to make sense to you, do follow up their sources and make sure they actually support what they claim. Physicians for Informed Consent, I have found, have always what they say is foundational to their claim has followed up. CDC, not so much. I think they count on people not clicking the link and going and looking there, <laughs> or they flat out make statements and don't give you any citations either. So, distinguish marketing message from substance. Yes, and then learned it. You know, take a class at um, uh, IPAK-EDU, IPAK-EDU, James uh online university, Mm -hmm. he's got some classes that'll teach you how to read a study so you can think critically and know was it underpowered, you know, did it have a control group, you know, is the, are the findings relevant to me or to the issue? Um, We all need to learn how to be critical thinkers.
0: Um, And there's also uh, another resource that, um, uh, was written by uh, a book called Vaccines 2.0, written by um, Dan mm-hmm. Olmsted and Mark Blaxell, where mm-hmm. they go through each of uh, each of the childhood vaccines and they discuss the disease, the risks of the disease, if there's benefits to the disease, the, how serious it is, details about it, and then the same with the vaccine. What are risks? What are known benefits? Um, so from a very kind of objective point of view, so that you can... Um, you know, you can see, like, what is my actual chance of getting polio? Well, there hasn't been a wild mm-hmm. pol- polio case in the United States not, since 1979. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really, you know, they can look at meningitis vaccine and say it's very rare. It's terrible. You mm-hmm. can have, you know, it can be deadly. Um, but how risky is the vaccine compared to that? You can't catch it. You know, uh, I believe that they they wrote something to the effect of, you know, CDC considers a meningitis outbreak three cases over the course of five months in within two states so this is not a yeah something that a lot of people are at risk for
1: thank Um, you ginger we're gonna we're gonna have to take a break now but we're gonna come back and, and we can we can pick up there um you've been listening to the health hour on inform life radio we're gonna take a break we're gonna come back to the liberty hour so stay tuned whatever platform you're on we're gonna be back or if you're listening on the recording go look for the the second half of Measles versus MMR, Uh, listening to 1150 AM KKNW and CHD TV. We'll be right back. During this unprecedented response to an infection outbreak, it has been made very clear that shutting down lives and businesses is not sustainable or repeatable. We've also learned that it's unnecessary. Treatments exist and always exist. For 99% of the population, nutrients and oxidative therapies that support the immune system and improve symptoms are always available to address viral infections. For the less than 1% who need more, inexpensive, unpatentable drugs can be added to the nutrient therapies to improve outcomes. It's time each and every one of us empower ourselves with this knowledge. We need not ever bring our lives to a halt again. We can both save lives and retain the liberty that nourishes us body and soul. Learn more at healthyimmunitynow.org. That's healthyimmunitynow.org.
0: Children's Health Defense is a nonprofit organization with a mission to end childhood health epidemics by working aggressively to eliminate harmful exposures, hold those responsible accountable, and establish safeguards to prevent future harm. The Washington chapter of Children's Health Defense is stepping up at the state and local levels, but we can't do this without you. Join us at wa.childrenshealthdefense.org. Let's restore and defend children's health and their futures in Washington state.